0: Welcome to the Outcomes Rocket Podcast, where we inspire collaborative thinking, improved outcomes, and business success with today's most successful and inspiring healthcare leaders and influencers. And now, your
1: host Saul Marquez. And welcome back to the podcast. Today, I have Dr. Debbie to the rescue. She's the founder of Surgebox Incorporated. Doctor to the Rescue founded Surgibox while at Harvard Medical School, and she continues to serve as lead of Project Surgibox and president of the board of directors of Surgibox Incorporated. I had the pleasure of meeting her at this year's TED Med event, truly inspired by the work that she was doing. She was actually duly trained as a physician and engineer. She also served as founding leadership of the Harvard Medical Makerspace Initiative, and the Crimson Care Collaborative Cambridge Clinic, with the focus on female patients with a history of trauma and refugees. You guys know that many, many have covered the topic of who these research projects are being done on and who drug approvals are being done on, and so Debbie's work is really working hard to to span and, and include a more diversified background, especially women and patients being treated. A physician at Lifespan to the Rescue is pioneering the Physician Investigator Innovator Pathway and volunteers at a refugee clinic there. So, tons on this bright leader's uh, plate, and it's a pleasure to have had her uh, carve out some time for us. So, Debbie, welcome to the podcast.
0: Thanks for having me, Saul.
1: It is a pleasure. So, you totally like rock the socks off of the folks at TEDMED. So, firstly, congratulations.
0: Thank you. It was a delight to be there.
1: And, uh, yeah, it was a pleasure to hear about your mission and, and the things that you guys are up to at Surgery Box. Um, Why did you decide to get into the medical sector to begin with?
0: So it's been, my goodness, I think it would, be, it would be a shorter period of time to say when I didn't want to get into the medical sector somehow. I think that growing up and seeing the folks around me getting sick and having seen the folks who have the power to make people better, that was incredibly powerful for me. But I think I had a nice journey throughout the different ways that the innumerable different ways that people can impact health early in my high school and college career. So I took a pretty serious amount of thought into doing health advocacy, health law, health journalism, all of those different things, and a lot of different flavors of health research. So all of those really colored my my ideas that wow, health and making health better is really not by any means monopolized by any single group or any single profession.
1: Yeah, I think that's such a great, great call out. And you're particularly interested in in really the refugee focus and improving access, safety, quality of care. What do you think a hot topic that needs to be on every medical leader's agenda today? What is that? And how are you and your team at Surgebox approaching it?
0: I think that trend both in terms of what our patients need and what we were seeing even at TEDMED and a lot of the environment really are clear and where they coincide that we need to figure out how to deliver care where the patients need it and when the patients are needing it, whether it's speaking from the perspective of medical devices or digital delivery or healthcare systems innovation. I think that's definitely where we have to We have to go really a patient-centric focus.
1: And Surgebox does just that. So for the listeners that haven't been introduced to the work of your company, let's level set with them. Can you share with them what you guys do?
0: Yeah. So Surgebox is overall an operating room and a backpack system that seeks to make surgery safer wherever and wherever that it's needed. Specifically, providers would seal a clear plastic bubble against the patient's skin right over where they would be having an operation mm-hmm. and operate through ports on the side of that clear plastic bubble and they can just cut right through the area sealed against the skin and the entire bubble is kept clean through a state of the art filtered laminar airflow system and that keeps the inside so that's cleaner than the cleanest operating rooms in really anywhere in the world while on the other hand The clear plastic enclosure protects the providers that are operating through it from the blood splashes that usually infect a lot of them each year, a lot of us each year.
1: That's innovative. That's brilliant. And folks, just imagine yourself doing something you love. You're skiing, you're out hiking, or maybe you're just out on Route 66 trying to get somewhere in the middle of nowhere. (laughs) (laughs) And, And you need surgery ASAP. Well, what Debbie and her team have developed Will enable that. And it's just a, it's a great opportunity for you to get the care at the point of uh, where it's necessary without having to deal with infections and all the nasty things that are out in the air, or even the cost of delays that could be deathly and, and, and also very, very detrimental to, to you as a patient. Can you give an example to the listeners, Debbie, of how you and your team have created results?
0: So we've really focused on ethical device development. So we always ensure that it's going, regardless of the of where it's going to be applied, that it's going through the same rigorous standards. So right now we are still going through a lot of ex vivo testing before we go through the regulatory process to be able to run full human testing. But we've still done a lot of human factors testing. To give you an example, we recently had Jeff, deployed as part of Operation Bushmaster with the, in tandem with our partners, Health Innovations International, and the uniform use of the fine folks in the military who are in their training on combat missions. So we deployed as part of that. And so we got to see how Surjabok behaves in a very high fidelity, realistic deployment situation where they had mock mass casualty events where they had actual bombings and they were being dropped out of helicopters. And on the other side of the spectrum during the same two week deployment, they were going to a cholera village and tending to folks who were afflicted with diseases that are similar to the sort of things that our, our military or NGOs are facing every single day in the humanitarian setting. So those helped us to better understand exactly where surgery box is helpful and really to our surprise i think the and it kind of goes to the theme of our conversation too we found that people like the idea of having surgery box closer and closer and closer to the patient because even at the very point of injury it seems to offer some benefits to the combat medics who are trying to tend to the folks who are really in their very worst hour very
1: very so that fascinating
0: was, that was unexpected, but you just plain have to have to see and really test to be able to understand.
1: Love that. Yeah, you got to be open to the results, whether or not there's something that you thought would happen. So based on that uh, idea, being open, what would you mm-hmm. say is a time that you had a setback? and What did you learn from that?
0: Oh, gosh. As I think any entrepreneur who's obvious, I'd say that there, are, there have been numerous ups and downs to the whole process. Huh. I think that probably the most illustrative or probably the most interesting to listeners is so we're currently in generation six of box, and each of them have been important to our development. But we're in generation in particular, I had thought and I had hoped at the time that generation three would be our last system. We had gone from the idea of Surge boxing, a real box into a system that is kind of a tent-like system. You insert some PVC tubing through film and you operate through it. It's kind of a trussed up kind of system. Mm-hmm. And we spent a lot of time testing and real finding that, yeah, it's actually very ergonomic for the course of the procedure. And it was only towards the end of it when we were very optimistically thinking, all right, this is going to be it, that we really got to appreciate, you know, there's one single setback, which is that it's while it's easy to use for the procedure after it's set up it's a bit of a pain to set up when you're in a field or in sort of austere settings It's just longer than we would want to still shorter than bringing an entire operating room in there for sure but when our goal when our you know design goal all along was we want to really fit into existing workflows, we realized when we finally ran the full workflow testing that we could do a lot better and hence that inspired generations four through six, which really lives much lives up much more to it because we learned from that to explicitly build workflow testing and more operational and logistics testing way earlier into our testing chain.
1: Love that. Yeah, it's uh it's neat. I mean you, you didn't stop there. You you kept building and now you have a, a version of the system that's a lot better. What would you say one of your proudest moments is?
0: Oh gosh, this is <laughs>
1: From the trenches to the skies, Debbie. Take us there.
0: Troutest medical leadership moment. I think that, huh, I think it was the day that we finalized our first hire, Stephen Okajima, who's our chief technology officer and a brilliant engineer. Like a lot of our members of the team, he had started out helping out and donating his time incredibly generously. But I think that the day that we were able to sign him on full time and say, "You can focus on just plain making surgery box work like you've clearly been wanting to do when you're volunteering in all of your spare time and just make it your day job," I think that was that was an absolute dream come true for me as a medical leader. Mm. That we can really marshal the forces of passion that goes into our the project and really. Really help it along, and so that's really been a tremendous highlight in my in my experience.
1: Love that! Congratulations on on that hire, and kind of reminds <laughs> you know any any leader that's kind of flying solo for a while or at least you know has volunteers or whatever working for them. You get employee number one or or that first member of the mm-hmm. team. It's really just—it uh, definitely is a, a key moment where you like, yeah, you know, this is this is it, and it kind of. Uh, I'm not sure Debbie if you've seen that video where there's a guy dancing in the field, and uh, it goes like <laughs> the lone nut, and then the lone nut becomes a leader once he has its first follower, <laughs> <laughs> and then it goes from this one guy dancing in the field to like a party. And, and that's ultimately what it takes here, folks. Is, and, and Debbie, you're a testament to that, right? You, like for a while, you have to have a strong enough vision to keep going at it. And folks, Debbie went through many iterations of this before having any support. I just want to remind everybody that most people give up after the first or second iteration. And it's not until that fifth or sixth that you really get the others to, around you to believe. If you don't believe, others won't. And so a uh, great story shared by you, by Debbie, and, and I think one that will help the listeners that are entrepreneurs, but also even policymakers and providers stick with whatever they're, they're trying to implement. Thank you, so Absolutely. Now, how about an exciting project? I mean, within Surgebox, what's an exciting project that you guys are working on today?
0: Man, there's so many. So I think one of huh, that's tricky. There are a lot of things we're doing to make Surgebox ever more adaptable. And I think one of the sort of cool mini initiatives that we're running is so overall we're, you know, we refer to ourselves pretty literally as an operating room in a backpack system. But mm-hmm. so one of the sort of mini initiatives that we're running with our with the military least really savvy members of the team, we have members from four different countries, militaries, and seven military branches. in it just somehow people seem to coalesce around the idea of it helping with defense and protection. Mm-hmm. It, so those folks are working together to run this mini initiative, this operating room on a stretcher system, which is intended to help, which is intended to ensure that box not only can get to where it needs to be, but can stay where it needs to be. Which includes, as it turns out, when you really dig into the logistics, a lot of transportation and hand lugging of people and all that sort of thing. So really ensuring the stability all throughout the entire life cycle of Surgeabox has been a pretty cool initiative. So I'm proud that we get to, we've been able to launch that.
1: That's awesome. Congratulations. And yeah, you never know, right? The effort (laughs) and the time that you and your team are spending, Debbie, can be that tool that helps somebody's dad or somebody's mom when they're in the battlefield and they need it most. So the ripple effect is, is big. So keep doing what you're doing. is super exciting. Absolutely. So Debbie, getting close to the end here, let's pretend you and I are building a medical leadership course on what it takes to be successful in the business of medicine. It's the mm-hmm. 101 of Dr. Debbie to the rescue. And by the way, mm-hmm. folks, uh, that is her last name, to the rescue. <laughs> She's always to the rescue, (laughs) Uh, and I think it's very appropriate for the work that you do. So in this lightning round, we've got five questions for you, and then we'll uh, end the syllabus with a book that you recommend to the listeners. You ready?
0: Oh, boy. Yeah.
1: (laughs) All right. What's the best way to improve healthcare outcomes?
0: Keep your eyes on the prize. It's the patients and it's the providers. Everything else is really bells and
1: whistles to that. What is the biggest mistake or pitfall to avoid?
0: Remember that when you're really getting into innovation, a no can mean a no in this particular context. It can mean a not yet, or it can just be a sort of a yellow light, not a red light. So I think a big part of a big mistake or pitfall really is to see it as a big red light that you can't
1: cross. Love that. Folks, no is a yellow light. It's not a red light. Love that! I'm gonna that.
0: <laughs> Don't take it out of context, Saul.
1: <laughs> I won't for sure, but I love the idea. And so, how do you stay relevant as an organization despite constant change?
0: Well, I think that a big part of it, especially in a very dynamic field, is to think about driving the change. Is to Think about your, for example, for SurgerBox to think about how we can contribute to the discourse and the advocacy around things like safe surgery and medical innovation. Because we benefit from that, so certainly we should be paying forward, and it affects
1: us too. Love it. What's one area of focus that drives everything in your organization?
0: It is really taking care of patients. So when we make any changes, we're saying, does this affect how, how quickly we can get to patients? Does it affect how safely we can take care of patients? So really, 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 it's for us, it's about the patients.
1: Love it. Debbie, the last one, what's your number one success habit?
0: Number one success habit, huh? I think it's having a genuine curiosity curiosity and gratitude towards people because I think that you can never really fully circumscribe just what role people have based on the roles or the CVs they have, but just plain having a sense of gratitude for anything that you're able to offer and thinking about what you're able to offer to other people. I've certainly felt that that has been repaid many, many, many million times over
1: for me. Beautifully said. And what book would you recommend as part of the syllabus?
0: Ooh. Huh. So I know you had warned me about this, but there's so many cool books <laughs> on my reading list these days. to try to keep track. So I think that I have most, recently been reading and I'm um, before I went into engineering before I went into medicine I was actually a history of medicine student
1: super cool I'm a history, and I, I'm a history fan myself really mm-hmm. that's fantastic
0: history. yeah and so part of the part of the sort of enchantment for me has been to really realize that a lot of the questions and problems that we deal with in leadership and strategizing and such aren't entirely new. The circumstances and the trappings are new, but not entirely. So I've been especially inspired recently by reading Augustus by John Williams. It's a book from a few decades back that really looked at, that tried to delve into how a young man in his teens who had, who came from a family of very modest origins, who came from the countryside, was able to conquer most of the known world despite being a sickly guy in a time when people were valued for their strength and really not having the classic political connections, but just when having the, having the willingness to be bold and the vision to dream.
1: That's powerful. Great recommendation, Debbie. And folks, uh, for all the notes, you guys already know this, but just as a reminder to get you straight to the show notes for this episode, just go to outcomesrockethealth surgebox. And you're going to find a full transcript along with links to all of the resources that Debbie has shared, including Augustus, the book that she recommended, her company, and all the awesome things, including a link to her TED Talk. You'll find all of that there. Debbie, this has been fun. I'd love uh, if you could just share a closing thought and then the best place where the listeners could reach out or follow you on.
0: Absolutely. So, well, thank you, everyone. Remembering that when we're Talking about healthcare, whether it's safe surgery or really much of healthcare, the difference between being good enough and being outstanding is lives and happy holidays together and all sorts of incredibly invaluable and countable outcomes. So I'm grateful to everybody who's clearly dedicated in the listening audience to trying to improve outcomes and to push the needle from good enough to excellent. So you can follow us at Surgebox, Inc. On Twitter, our website is www.surgebox.org. We are a hybrid organization. So we run as both a company, Surgebox, Inc., as well as a Project Surgibox, which focuses on advocacy, research, and, and education aspects of project development. And you can always drop us a line at hello at Surgebox.org. I look forward to hearing from everyone.
1: Outstanding. Well, thank you for the invitation, and folks. If something in today's interview resonated with you, I totally invite you to reach out, collaborate. The best ideas already exist. You just have to reach out and collaborate with those doing them to get things started. So, Debbie, big thanks for spending time with us today. We really appreciate it.
0: Thanks so much, Sal. Always the time with you flies by, so I appreciate it.